Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about the energy industry from Alpha Energy Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer at Alpha Energy, and today we're talking about government and energy. And I'm joined by Simon Jaynes, Managing Director at Energy Comms Limited. Uh, hi to you, Simon. Hi, Jeremy. Good to be here. And Simon, I've known for many years. He's a seasoned observer of the Westminster scene, and we're jolly interesting to hear what he has to say. Well, I guess one of the most topical questions at the moment is net zero and whether the government's been diverted a bit away from that as a result of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, what, what's your thoughts about that, Simon? What, what do you think ministers are concentrating on right now? Well, government has been uh, directed away from everything by uh, coronavirus. So, uh, I mean, coronavirus and trying to um, keep some semblance of an, an economy uh, running through the pandemic is the focus of everything that government does. It's not to say that uh, other work isn't ongoing. So, for example, in the, in the energy world, um, the, the white paper still exists. It's you know it, it was largely drafted, but it's going to need to reflect what has happened subsequently, and what has happened subsequently is because of the way it's affecting government finances means that uh, Treasury is going to want to have a very close look at any policy documents that the government produces subsequently to check how those things are going to be funded. So if the white paper, for example, contains any sort of lavish spending commitments in order to bring forward a certain type of generation, for example, that's not likely to uh, pass muster with the Treasury. But it also equally means some of those aspects that could uh, help the functioning of the economy, anything that could lower energy bills, for example, is likely to be viewed much more favourably. But it also means that the, the, the key decision maker in this is, is not in the Department of, of uh, Business and Energy. It's, uh, it's in the Treasury and in number 10 in the Cabinet Office, which is where all the key decisions will be taken. Well, that's an interesting observation where the power really lies. So, uh, your fears is quite a lot is probably still going on within Bayes. You know, ministers like Kwasi Karteng working away quietly, whilst we've seen the, you know, the Secretary of State, uh, Mr Sharma, talk largely about uh, COVID-related things to date. But I guess that's going to have to change as the energy white paper eventually emerges. And uh, th- there has been some action taken, of course, to, to prevent um, suppliers being under, uh, energy suppliers being under financial stress and to make sure there's continuity there for consumers, which I guess is something of a reassurance. Does that suggest the government have got it as far as the uh, potential impact on the energy industry? After all, if the energy industry is damaged by this process from low demand or indeed industrial energy consumers, what have you got left to decarbonise at the end of it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I mean Sharma's current involvement in energy is where that is seriously impacted by COVID-19. And and as you rightly say, that's on the ability of energy companies to actually survive the process with uh, reduced, both reduced energy demand and uh, change in the profile of that demand, both in terms of time of day and where it is. And that's putting strain on both networks and generators. So that's where Sharma's focus on energy is. Um, and for, so, for example, it isn't on, on the net zero at the moment. And that's probably, the government probably doesn't have a, and, and the department probably doesn't have a particular issue with that because the the white paper is now very much sort of back burner, as, as it were, um, while this process is going on. And it, you also need to think, when they talked about the bringing the white paper forward, they were talking sort of six to nine months before the COP26. 
because this is by some way one of the things it will contain is their their vision for decarbonisation and moving towards net zero. Now, if COP26 isn't until next year, maybe what they're looking at, and I think it's probably very likely from what I hear, is a, a timing that's similar to the revised timing for COP26. For the same reason, I mean, there, there is a very strong political consensus in favour of, of net zero, almost unanimous in the opposition parties, pretty much actually unanimous in the Conservative Party these days. But it's when you get to the detail that's the problem. So something you bring out with a vision six months before the COP26 might still be presenting a vision six months later. But a year and a half later, we'll be in the detail, and that's when everyone starts squabbling. And they want they want to be able to present a, a vision going into COP26 because Boris Johnson wants a win out of COP26 and show that they can actually produce something um, something meaningful from that. So they want their bold vision going in as part of that. So it's not actually just about the UK. It's also about the vision for the United Nations action on climate change. That's an interesting perspective. But back just for the to the UK for a moment, and for those who might be listening, worried about the impact of they might be uh, fully behind the principle of action on net zero, but anxious about the impact on bills. But there have been some developments. One thinks of the reduction in cost of onshore wind, for example, and indeed offshore wind. Do you think that's changed the politics? Not so much of the opposition parties who are who are very much on this page, but perhaps some of those more sceptical conservatives who had concerns about both the cost and the practicalities of technology like off- onshore wind. Do you sense that's changing a bit? And you know, what should we think about those uh, influential figures at the centre of government, like Michael Gove and uh, Mr Cummings and so on, that might be, you know, wh- how are their views going to shape government policy in this area? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's been it's it's hugely changed. Uh, views inside the Conservative Party. I mean, there are there are still those Conservatives who are uh, Conservatives and sticking with the, um, the the definition of Conservatives, and, and they still don't like onshore wind because they don't like it changing things and changing the look of the landscape. Uh, yeah, those, those views still exist. But equally, the vast majority of Conservatives believe that what they stand for is uh, sound management of the economy, being able to deliver uh, services cheaply or as cheaply as, and as efficiently as possible for the population. And when you look at the unit cost uh, now of uh, electricity from onshore wind, for a conventional uh, conservative looking at the economy, it's absolutely madness to oppose it. And, and, and it really has impacted on the, the views of the Conservative Party. I think the other thing that also is under, underestimated is the change in generation that's happened across the last two general elections inside the Conservative Party. Conservative MPs is now are considerably younger than they were prior to 2017. And largely, as a lot of the, the MPs who uh, were absolutely died in the wool anti-renewables people have, have disappeared. And some of the younger generation genuinely get the need for decarbonisation but are looking for to do it as cheaply as possible. So as offshore wind becomes cheaper and be able to supply large amounts of power, they want to, to support that. Onshore wind is the cheapest form of power. And then the, the cost of unit you know, cost of solar is now is now down. The issue, of course, then comes around uh, around storage. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether, I mean, storage costs, which have been uh, declining, uh, continue to do so uh, uh, such that the overall bill comes down. And, mm. and one last last highly political area, I, I, I almost hesitate to mention the word Brexit. We've managed to have a few months off from having to think about it too much, partly because of the immediate crisis. There's still some work to be done there, I understand, in terms of the negotiations before the UK finishes the transition period, whether it's to do with uh, you know, trade of energy, but more likely things to do with the emissions trading scheme. So is that another area for us to watch that could be of concern to business energy users? Yeah, well, as, as someone who does still very actively follow the Brexit negotiations, something I do on a regular basis for clients, there is still a significant issue around uh, Brexit negotiations for energy. On the surface, people maybe think that there isn't because largely the EU and the UK have uh, similar aims. Both sides want interconnectors to work efficiently still. There is large levels of agreement. The principal area of disagreement will be over carbon intensity of energy. But actually, you know, I've spoken to people on both sides of the negotiation and they're generally happy with the position of the UK is looking to ensure there is a carbon price still in the UK, not through emissions trading, but looking through taxation, carbon taxation. As long as there's a carbon price, both sides of the interconnector, both sides are probably happy with it. The real issue is around the the general aspect of the of the negotiations, in that both sides are still trying to negotiate different things. The EU is trying to negotiate an all-encompassing uh, treaty that covers all issues, and the UK is trying to negotiate a lot of separate treaties which deal with individual issues. So the UK is quite happy; it has an energy treaty which can work. Uh, but the EU isn't trying to negotiate an energy treaty. It wants everything in one treaty. And if fisheries isn't agreed, it blocks energy. Mm. Uh, and that is the real issue. So even in an area where there's a lot of agreement, which there is in energy, for example, the nuclear issues are all pretty sorted as well. But yeah, the EU's position is if, if unless they can agree all aspects, then it doesn't go through. So then the issue is if and when the, the torts collapse in the autumn and they don't have a, a treaty, is there a will... Uh, on the EU side to agree an energy-only treaty and a transport-only treaty, because transport would be very, uh, very key to both sides as well. Well, that's certainly going to be an interesting one to watch. And what? One very, very last question, very, very, very briefly, before we run out of time on this, uh, do, do you see uh, it likely that government might be tempted to take any other short-term measures to alleviate pressure on? And not so much domestic, but business energy bills in the short term, things that can't be solved by getting more onshore wind onto the system because that takes years and so on. Could that be another way of supporting business energy consumers during this difficult period? Or is that, uh, have, you, have you sensed that that's not a, not a line the government's minded to take? No, I don't think the government's looking at that. Um, certainly it's not what I've heard, heard from talking to officials at base, but also if you look at the the amount of direct support that uh, government is providing to business, it dwarfs anything that they're going to look at on business costs. So we're in a completely different world. If we'd been having this conversation six months ago, we've been talking about could the government provide a small amount of uh, support to business. We're now in a world where government is paying 80% of the wage bill of business. I mean, yeah, we're, we're not in the same place anymore. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a good point on which to conclude. Uh, they say, um, you know, a week is a long time in politics. The last three months has certainly been a long term in terms of uh, shifting things as a result of the coronavirus 
crisis, but it'll be interesting to see how things resume. So uh, thank you, Simon, for your comments about the energy white paper, net zero and related matters. It'll be very interesting to uh, keep in touch about this. Uh, if you'd like any further information from Alpha Energy or to look at our reports, have a look at our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK. And we hope you join us again for a podcast soon.